Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Is your business to know about the law and how it's affecting every aspect of your life? Is your business to know about what's happening that's really important in the media front, particularly as it relates to the law? And so that's why I'm really excited about uh, John O'Connor joining our uh, media team here. Uh, he'll be doing uh, reoccurring commentaries on business, the law, the political front, and the media. And we're delighted to have him join us. Uh, he's distinguished in uh, the legal profession. Uh, he is an experienced trial lawyer practicing law in San Francisco since the early 70s. And he has tried cases in state and federal courts throughout the country. He served as an assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California, representing the United States in both criminal and civil cases. But he may be best known for his work as the attorney of Mark Felt, whom most of you know as Deep Throat in the uh, Watergate uh, situation. And uh, he became very familiar with the role of the Washington Post in Watergate in his representation of Mark Felt. And so uh, he brings a lot of experience. He also wrote briefs regarding uh, Patty Hearst, the United States versus Patty Hearst, and really had himself involved in some of the biggest lawsuits of the uh, 20th century, representing the uh, federal government uh, in the vast majority of those cases. So we're delighted to have him. He's going to be bringing his interesting insights uh, every other week here on the Price of Business show. You can learn more about him and his work at postgatebook.com. That's postgatebook.com. And that's the name of uh, the, the book that uh, he talks about most often. It relates to media, Postgate. And again, that's postgatebook.com. All right, with that, John O'Connor. The Price of Business has asked me to comment on the FBI's involvement in the Hunter Biden laptop story. We all know there presently exists a seemingly unbridgeable political divide in our country, which, as we will discuss, is both historically unprecedented and troubling. But this chasm, nonetheless, could be ascribed to be merely an odd artifact of our country's inviolable tradition of free speech. However, with the emerging news of the FBI's role in squelching of the Hunter Biden laptop story, such an analysis most certainly should now be profoundly altered. Our present divisions may no longer be considered healthy, if heated, First Amendment fights, but a death struggle to maintain a free society fought against those seeking authoritarian thought control. Let's go back in time a bit because, as the facade of the National Archives proclaims, what is past is prologue. Our Western political tradition, until modern post-Enlightenment society, has prominently featured the strong tendency to merge political power with ideological thought control. Since the most popular ideologies in past centuries were religious, wars often were fights over religious ideologies as much as over political power, indeed the two being virtually indistinguishable, especially given such structures as the Holy Roman Empire. Centuries of wars between Catholics and Protestant polities are but some examples. England today celebrates the 1688 Glorious Revolution, where James II, the lawful king, was deposed in favor of William and Mary. What was the terrible wrongdoing of James II? He openly converted to and espoused Catholicism, meaning his legacy would be gasp Catholic monarchs. 
Even as late as the 1780s and 1790s, England was debating what the official religious doctrine should be upon which all citizens were forced to agree, even if they were free, to practice in private their own particular religious principles. Of course, in modern times, communist countries such as China, Cuba, and the former USSR coerced their subjects to espouse socialist ideologies, which in turn also recognize the authoritarian political control that enforces this ideological conformity. This coercion of thought and expression is no different from the religious-based coercion in Iran enforced under Sharia law. With the advent of the Enlightenment, American other Western democracies recognize freedom of belief, thought, and speech. But there is an inherent contradiction in a democracy. Its freedom can theoretically lead to lack of freedom. America could vote into law, Sharia law, or alternatively could simply start practicing and enforcing Sharia law. Self-styled sophisticates will laugh at this danger. But a American society may be perilously close to authoritarian ideological control and censorship, even if it is not based on a religion such as Sharia law, but more modern ideologies. The two sides of the present political divide are not symmetric in their opposing views. Citizens we call conservatives, really old-fashioned liberals, very much believe in the broad idea of political freedom. Not only the liberty to say and write what one thinks, but also in the value, the good, indeed the necessity of open argument and debate. The best and most compelling argument for open debate is that of the great John Stuart Mill, who published the classic On Liberty in 1835. It is a positive good, he wrote, and a promoter of liberty for each side of an issue to argue and debate with each other, not to shirk from it because the other side is believed wrong. If one's argument holds up against the contrary, this not only affirms its validity, but also helps the proponent to appreciate even more deeply his own position, and it helps the opponent understand the error or weakness in its position, perhaps leading to refinement. And of course, even the better side of the argument might learn the weaknesses with its position and correct them. Thus, per mill, encouragement of open, perhaps heated, public debate is a political good to be valued and promoted whatever one believes. But while conservatives, really classical liberals, strive for open debate, progressives do not. But, alas, progressives now control the mainstream media, universities, and generally elite opinion sectors. These progressives do not want debate any more than their cousins, the socialists, want debate. They want instead to coerce their contrary minds to believe in their cause, which also comes with it, as it must, authoritarian enforcement. People who believe in wrong ideas must be, quote, forced to be free, unquote, in Rousseau's classic oxymoronic expression. So rather than encourage debate, progressives have developed a vast array of techniques to squelch speech, the charge of, quote, conspiracy theory, unquote, whatever that nonsensical phrase means, claims of misinformation and disinformation, really opinions progressives do not like, broad categorization of hate speech, fact check and debunking, shadow banning and deplatforming, charges of denialism, analogizing any skepticism about climate or election processes as equivalent to denying the Holocaust. If one asserts an unwanted scientific view, that person is denying, quote, settled science, unquote. One is accused of being a climate denier if wishing to debate the unproven hypothesis of substantial amplification or positive feedback from modest amounts of CO2. One is an election denier if decrying the woeful lack of traditional electoral safeguards. To enforce thought, the Washington Post, for instance, gives Pinocchios to the supposed thousands of Donald Trump lies and lies of others. Let me give you two supposedly false underlying claims supporting hundreds of lies claimed by the Post. 
Several hundred lies, supposedly, were based on Trump's claim that he was building a border wall. Nonsense, said the Post. This was really a bollard-style fence, based, the Post says, on the technical definition of what is a wall. I need not belabor this absurd claim, but in fact, what Trump was building had continuous elements in the top and the bottom, so the slats that had openings do not defeat this pseudo-intellectual jejun assertion. Several hundred other lies were supposedly based upon Trump's claim that his economy was the best ever. This is nothing more than a matter of opinion, not truth or lie. So progressives are hoping to control and be the arbiters of what is acceptable truth, hopefully developing the herd mentality needed to sustain impractical or silly progressive prescriptions for society, like not producing fossil fuel we all need to have at least now. Progressives wish, and in some circles have accomplished, a one-sided courtroom. It is as if one lawyer can come into court without opposing lawyers allowed in the courtroom to speak to the jury, and rather than an impartial judge, the lawyer can name his partner to preside over the trial. This is not as absurd as it sounds. Watch a panel discussion on a CNN or MSNBC news show, not an opinion show sometime. But there has been a defense for progressives in much of this. These ideas are expression of CNN's speech protected by the First Amendment. Fair enough. CNN, for example, champions the idea of the law forcing a cake baker to write repugnant speech on a cake. The proponents can claim that the law was democratically passed, in our view equivalent to democracy passing Sharia laws, which is all right. So all of this one-sided, non-debating, speech-quelching process can be defended as democratic ideation encouraged by the First Amendment and generally our country's tradition of liberty. But with the recent revelation of the FBI's active participation in staunching the flow of communications regarding the Hunter Biden laptop, the entire situation is now flipped on its head, and we now have assaults both on free speech and democracy. How so? The First Amendment is a restriction on government, underlying government power, to curtail its citizens' free expression, especially in the press or media. But that is precisely what the FBI, a government organ, did. It curtailed speech, and it did so dishonestly. The FBI had the laptop since late 2019 and knew it was not a plant of Russian disinformation, and yes, was Hunter Biden's laptop lawfully obtained not stolen. But learning of the pending New York Post reporting on it, the FBI began a program to deter what it called hack and leak operation, warning that tech companies need to quash such speech, specifically referencing the Hunter Biden laptop. The quashing worked, and the polls showed a different outcome in the 2020 election would have occurred had the story been widely communicated. While this is sickening, there is a much worse story to tell. The FBI learned of the Post plans to publish a laptop by electronically surveilling the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, likely politically motivated searches, as in Russiagate. There was widespread FBI coordination, not only nationwide with the Bureau, but also with the Department of Homeland Security using national security personnel. So this treachery had to have been conceived at the top, the headquarters of the FBI. Secondly, by using counterintelligence powers to surveil and counterintelligence personnel to suggest Russian influence. The FBI was directly and abjectly betraying the president as its commander-in-chief, underline as commander-in-chief. Traditionally, presidents stay away from law enforcement so that it appears non-political. President Nixon was impeached for lying to the FBI. But counterintelligence is a far different kettle of fish than law enforcement. It is the president as commander-in-chief who has the overall supervision of national security and counterintelligence. 
and the FBI is sworn to allegiance to this constitutional arrangement. It must do what the president wishes in this regard, period. Clearly, the FBI was run by remnants of James Comey's partisan progressives and, like Comey, worked to secretly undermine a sitting president who was its commander-in-chief. While this process results in what George Orwell would call double-think or newspeak, we say double-speak today, this is not far from the truth today when President Biden passes an Inflation Reduction Act, which will clearly cause inflation. But the real danger we face in the wake of FBI's dishonest electoral intervention is summarized thus. Can we really achieve the government we want by democratic participation in fair elections, the essence of democracy? The country elected Donald Trump in 2016, but it did not have a voice in picking the ideologically driven partisans in the FBI who made it their mission to discredit and defeat Trump. Outside our country's constitutional convention in the 18th century, many conjectured that the delegates would vote to form a monarchy-like government with a presumably authoritarian president for life. When a curious woman asked Benjamin Franklin what form of government we would have, he replied, a republic, if we can keep it. With a progressive ideology imposed by non-electoral priests, mandarins, scribes, and Pharisees in government, namely the deep state, as well as partisans in the legacy media and in university faculties, do we have any more a democratic republic? If we have not already lost our republic, we are in danger of so doing. So let us assure you that if you think and speak of this danger, you are not a threat to democracy, you are an apostle of it.